thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask for God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. scriptures have been opened, you would speak to our hearts and show us Jesus. Amen. Ludi just read from the book of Colossians, one of the letters in the New Testament. These letters were written to the early church and they are written to inspire and to encourage the early church and they inspire and encourage us. So we're going to study this letter for the next few weeks. That's the plan. We're going to look at it together as a church. We've gone on this journey, haven't we, since Christmas, the great moments in the Christian faith, the birth of Jesus at Christmas, the death and resurrection at Easter, and then the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. And then what happens? How do we end up here in this building 3,000 years later? Well, the, the letters in the New Testament to the early church give us some of the indication of what, what's church about, what church is like. It's like when, when I was a kid, I remember lifting up the big rocks and you see underneath, don't you, like the little wood lice and the spiders and the worms and all that lives beneath. Well, these letters are like the early church, looking at the early church. You get to lift the lid off and see, see what lurks beneath. What were they talking about? What were they saying? What were they thinking? And by reading them, we help to, um, helps us to know what to be, what to do, what to say as the church today in 2022. Yesterday, my sister got ordained in, in the Church of England as a priest, and I was remembering that the words there, because that happened to me four years ago, it's turned into a bit of a, a family business, and, and I remember that the, the, the words have so much to do with the Bible. So many of the things that I vowed and things that my sister vowed yesterday, all to do with the Scripture. 
It talks about the, the faith that, that's been revealed in the Holy Scriptures. It says that those that get ordained are, are, are called to seek nourishment from the Scriptures. They study them with God's people. That's you lot. And that we might be equipped to share the gospel with the world. It says that priests are to uh, accept the Holy Scriptures, reveal what's necessary for eternal salvation. It says that priests are asked, will you be diligent in prayer and reading the Holy Scripture? It goes on and on and on that we would study the Scriptures, preach the Word. It goes on and on and on. I haven't got time to read them all. But it reminded me of just how amazing the Bible is and how much of what I do and what we do as a church is to gather around the Scriptures, to peer in and to have our lives filled and directed by the words that are written there. And when we ask these questions of what then should we do now in a world like today, uh, what should we be? What should we do? What should we say? It's the scriptures that aren't secondary but so foundational to govern our action. Now, here's a little challenge. Why don't we read Colossians every day? Now, you could just read a bit. That would be fine. That would be entry level and you would, you would pass with flying colours. There wouldn't actually be a test. But in theory, if you like tests, you, you can have one at the end and you'll pass. But it only takes about 15 minutes to read all four chapters. You won't find a Netflix episode shorter than that. Some coffee cues are longer than that. So maybe just consider if in the next few weeks you read it every day. You can memorise it. I met someone once that had memorised the entire New Testament. That's an achievement. What about a book? What about if you do that? You will then pass with, you know, what's above flying colours. Levitating colours. I don't know. Yeah, technicolour. Pass in technicolour. That would be that bit, but there's no test, so we wouldn't know. Anyway, the challenge, read a bit every day. I try and read the Bible in the morning to the point that it's like when you drink too much water and you lie on the floor, and, you know, you feel it sloshing around. That's what I try and do every morning. I read the Bible until something stands out, a word, a phrase, an idea, and then I have sort of, like, it's around with me for the rest of the day. That's the challenge, at the very least. Read Colossians of the church every day until something sticks with you and affects your day. And then send your questions in. You can, you know, text me, email, um, write them on the wall, and we'll look at them together on a Sunday. And then, if you want to get up, we can come together and sort of we can get together and study Colossians in a bit more details. But as you read, what are your questions? There will be some, I'm sure. Uh, it'd be good to know. And my prayer is that the Bible comes alive for all of us. It's not just information, but it's revelation. It's our heart meeting God's spirit. That as we read the Scripture, we would be able to know in a personal way, Jesus' purpose for our lives. So today, as we begin, I'm not going to overload you with context, but I want to let you know a few things about the book of Colossians to help us as we begin this, this study, and then say one or two things about baptism. So if you don't mind, Jonathan, you could bring up verse 2. That would be great. It starts there at the beginning of one, what we just heard. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Written to a particular church at a particular time. Now Paul, who wrote it, one of the, the big characters of the early church, he got imprisoned multiple times, in fact, for, for what he shared about Jesus. He's writing this in prison, probably from Ephesus, we don't know for sure, and probably in the mid-50s, so about 20 years after Jesus rose. Colossae wasn't far from Ephesus, and, and when we read about his adventures in that town, it records how the whole gospel spread in that region. And so it seems that when he was in prison, this is most likely because it says this guy in verse 7, Epaphras, if we go to verse 7, he, he came to visit Paul whilst he was in prison, telling Paul about what was going on in Colossae. Now, Colossae was a town, not an important town, much like Swindon. I'm sorry if you're from Swindon. 
Is anyone from Swindon? Okay, I haven't offended you, but like that all the town I grew up in, Tavistock. Have you heard of Tavistock? Probably on the way to Cornwall, on your way to Holiday. That's where most people try to come across Tavistock. Colossa wasn't a particularly important town. It was on the way somewhere, and it was rich because it's on a trade route, but it wasn't a particularly special town. But this guy, Epaphras, comes to Paul in prison, probably in the city nearby called Ephesus, and brings a story of the church there. And the story he brings is mainly encouraging, and Paul says there's lots to encourage in, in Colossians, but there's also some challenges. And we've read today his opening prayer for the church in Colossae. And so I just want to make a couple of comments about, about this opening prayer. If you go back to verse 1, it's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now the word apostle was a word used at the time for an emissary or an ambassador, someone sent by the Roman Empire. Because the challenge at the time, the biggest challenge of all, was, was everywhere was under the Roman Empire. An overwhelming, dominating force that we can't even properly imagine. Bigger than Coca-Cola, bigger than anything you can imagine. Any brand or advertising campaign, the empire controlled everything. You'd see Caesar's face on the walls, on your coins, everywhere you'd go. You would know there is a power bigger than your life. There is a power bigger than your country or your tribe's life, and you can't control it. And it was Caesar's power. So the phrase on every kind of statue was Caesar is Lord. And the apostle, the word apostolos, literally means sent ones, but what the apostles were, were, were people on behalf of the emperor going to a particular town or a place. Now Paul here uses that phrase that everyone would have known and says, I'm like one of those ambassadors, but sent not by Caesar, but by Jesus. Paul's obsession in his life and in the book of Colossians is Jesus, the person of Jesus. Jesus pervades every aspect of this book, every aspect of the church. The church exists because Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Jesus thinks, Paul thinks that Jesus is a fulfillment of his own people, the Jewish story, but also the fulfillment of the world story. His obsession is Jesus, and next week we'll look particularly at why Paul is quite so convinced that Jesus is worth being obsessed over. Colossians deals with Jesus, the supremacy, the wonder, the power of Jesus, and also the challenges that the Colossians were particularly facing. Now we can deduce one or two things from, from, from the book that they were challenged by. Firstly, whether Jesus was God or not. I mean, it's understandable if you think about it. 2,000 years of stained glass windows, you might think, well, the church, of course, they think that Jesus is God. It's sort of a force that floats above our heads. That's obvious, isn't it? Now, the starting place of those that wrote the New Testament was quite the opposite. His friends had met him. They knew him. Uh, they shook his hands. They'd hugged. They heard his regional accent. They're real human. The great whodunit mystery revealed in the New Testament is not that Jesus was, was, was human, but that Jesus was God. The starting place was that he was a bloke. You know, they knew him. They knew his name. But the Bible reveals that that person that lived the life was actually God. And so, second, third hand now, the news has spread. The, the, the story of Jesus has been gossiped. And in, in, in Colossae, they're starting to doubt it. Understandable. Really, God? Was he really God? Maybe just a special guy. Maybe special powers. A good moral teacher. Very wise. A good idea. Maybe almost like an angel. Special. But not really God. That sounds a bit far-fetched, so you can understand, and I get that. It may seem for us, the whole thing of the Christian faith, just a little bit too far-fetched. It is quite an idea. 
that Jesus was fully God and fully human. But that was one of the challenges. And, and Paul wrote this letter to encourage the church. No, no, no. Jesus really is God. And, and the hinge of the Christian faith is on that idea that fully human, fully God. That's where the meat is. That's where the substance is. It really matters. It really, really matters. The second thing was there was a, 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 a pattern at the time of sort of secret knowledge, special bit, bit like cults, little kind of secret ideas that, that particular rich and the powerful would, would get together and say, well, I've found the secret. And if you pay so much or you do so much, I'll give you the secret. And that kind of thinking had also come into the church. And you see it everywhere. I mean, in my lifetime, spirituality and the overt public practice of spirituality has gone from up and up and up. And so I, just two days ago, on Friday, we were on, on a very sort of one of those streets around here where you have to take out a mortgage to buy a coffee. You know, there was... It's, <laughs> It's a devastating amount just to get, get a bit of caffeine in your system and you've got the coffee shops here and then you've got the shop where to make your skin smell nice you also have to take out another mortgage. And then alongside the cafe and then this nice skin shop, then there was a shop in the same font, you know, they all look exactly the same, ridiculous price, and it was tarot cards and crystals. And just like another product, you sort of, you get the caffeine, you get your skin nice, and then you get your sort of spirituality. We live in a, in a time where, where there's incredible interest in spiritual things. And at the time, in Colossae, is the same. Some people said, I've got a secret knowledge. I've got the way to find, find the secrets. And it's outside of the Christian faith. And these are the two challenges that Paul seems to be writing to encourage. Jesus really is God. Don't have a low view of Jesus. And humans, they're okay. But the secret knowledge doesn't come through special ways and special paths that has been made known, revealed, the mystery opened up for all of us, and it's about Jesus. So that's an introduction to the book of Colossians. Now, if we go to the, the next slide, verse 3, we always thank God. Colossians drips with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an attitude that allows us to see, uh, it's a whole past of, of living with God. Thanksgiving is a powerful thing. Gratitude sets us free from a grim and miserable existence. It's so much a perspective and an attitude more than a circumstance because you can be grateful about the smallest things, can't you, if you think about it. You know, your seat didn't break when you fell down. The weather could actually be worse. If we're in the Northern Hemisphere, there could be snow at any moment. There's so much if you just pause for a moment and think about it to be grateful for. Gratitude is a powerful, powerful thing. And Thanksgiving pervades the, the book of, of Colossians. And then it gets to the difficult bits at the end about how we live. And if you think about it, thanksgiving, what we say and what we do, leads to kind of a, a thankful way of living. Sort of thanksgiving to thanks living. Like, how do we live in a thankful way? How do we honour our bodies and, and one another's bodies? How, what do we do? How do we treat one another? And the book of Colossians is all about how, how thanksgiving lives to a certain way of living that's thankful. Mary, do you remember what we were talking about? To say a great big thank you. Does anyone know? Anyone go to a CV primary school? Sing that song. Apple pie. There's a few apple pies and the. Yeah, do you remember? It was just a long list. If you're, if you didn't sing that song in primary school, then you're looking very confused. That's okay. But it's just effectively a long list of things to give thankful for. And how did the chorus go? I mustn't forget. I mustn't forget. Anyway, it's a very strange song. But the point still stands. Thankfulness. How do we live thankfully? Okay, the next thing to look at is over at verse 5. You've already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. 
Now this is the second word, just like apostle, a word taken from the wider culture. The gospel was an announcement. Whenever something important had happened in the, the empire, in the Roman Empire, like a battle had been won, or a new kind of Caesar, new emperor had, had sort of come through, they would send off the emissaries, the apostles, and there would be a trumpet, imagine, down on a bow road, trumpet sounded, then someone would get up and say, I've got an announcement. There was a battle and we won. And people would be like, great, another uh, thing happened, nothing to do with us, some people were killed, whatever. Another one, do, do, do. and I've got an announcement, there's a new emperor, his name's Augustus, it's good news. Why? <laughs> you know, we're here, there's another emperor, another genocidal maniac is in, in, in command, why is that good news? Well, well, the word gospel literally means good news, is now picked up by Paul to describe Jesus. This word that meant a messaging system for the empire, now becomes a word that describes the life of Jesus. The gospel is a genre of music. Gospel is a word that you might have associated with Christianity. But the heart of it, what it means, is the message about Jesus. It's hard to summarise, because it's everything. His life, death and resurrection. Paul tries. He tries somewhere else in the end of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, let me try and summarise what the good news, what the announcement is. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day he rose again. That's a good summary. But the fullness of the gospel is everything, the whole thing. It's the announcement. And it's an announcement, a message that explains, and a message that transforms. The story of Jesus explains why the world is how it is. Why it's so beautiful, but yet so broken. Why our lives have so much promise, but also so much disappointment. It's a gospel announcement, a good news announcement that explains the way the world is, but it also transforms. Just take a moment and just think, so far we've talked about the pressures that the Colossi Church were under. What pressures are you under? What pressures, if you follow Jesus, do you feel that pull you away? What are the things that, that, that might... Maybe it's fear. We just sung about fear. Maybe it's the presence of fear in your life that as you try and walk out your Christian faith, your word, fear pulls me back. Maybe it's a certain relationship or a certain part of your life that you just feel controls you rather than you control it. What are the pressures that you want? What will lead you away from Jesus? And then what's the announcement that you cling on to? What are we waiting for on the news? What do we search our social medias for? Well, the announcement about Jesus is, a, is something to cling on to. What's the pressure that could pull you away? Um, and what's the part of the, of the gospel, the good news, the message of Jesus that you need to cling on to at this time? I said the gospel is a message that explains and transforms. So let's just close by, by quickly looking at some of that transformation. In verse 13 and 14, says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. The life, death and resurrection of Jesus is a rescuing force that takes us out from that which is the dominion of darkness, that which is slightly beyond just the human activities, the human attempts to, to mess things up. The, the dominion of darkness, that which is evil and wrong. Jesus is rescuing us from us. Then these are this phrase, that he has brought us. 
translated or, or another way of understanding it is transferred. The football transfer market is fully open. If you support football, I do. Your phone is probably full of constant transfer news. Or most of it fake news. You've been transferred into the kingdom of light. What a picture. What an idea. A whole realm full of light. No darkness. Your kingdom, a funny word for us to get our head around. But imagine where Jesus was in control, a realm where he rules. No sin or suffering, sickness or darkness. Imagine what that would look like. And then it has this little phrase, the kingdom of the son he loves. Most rulers, when you look at them, are fairly fragile. The more they rule, they, the more fragile they look. The more they try and exert power, the more that power seems to crack around them. Imagine what a kingdom would look like if the ruler was so secure in love so affirmed by their father, defined by the kingdom of the son that he loves. wonder how long he would have to cuddle Putin before he would change his ways, but it would be quite a funny thing to watch. Amazing idea to, to know Jesus, to hear the announcement, the good news of Jesus, a message that explains and transforms, that leads us into this kind of life. What would that look like in your life if that broke out? A kingdom of light rather than darkness. A rescue from the things that haunt us and, and pull us down. The word there, re- redemption, it's bringing in two ideas, but primarily ultimately about freedom. We sang a song, it's like no longer being slaves. Slaves primarily in the song to fear. But the, the reality of Jesus' first followers is that the message they heard and received, the gospel that explains and transforms, affected every aspect of their life. So as we'll look in the coming weeks, the way in which society worked, particularly at the time, relationship between slaves and masters and one another was turned on its head. Wherever the the good news goes, there's freedom. Remember our our friends, um, they work with people leaving gangs and drugs in South Africa. And there was a time when they sang that song when someone who was addicted to heroin in a moment of prayer went completely cold turkey in five minutes. And they were completely detoxed in five minutes. The the gospel, wherever the good news goes, the message that explains it also transforms because it's the power of God to rescue us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. So the church is famous for, for setting captives free, spiritually, socially, economically, turning the tables on their heads, bringing freedom where freedom must go. And the growth, we we heard about it in verse 3, but it's also in verse 10. The growth that we receive as the church grows, it's not mechanical. It's not the sort of binary numbers, sort of of systems of, of software engineering. It's not the machines of war. The growth is like a garden. It's organic. It, it talks here about fruit. So, for example, in verse 10, that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit. So you and I, as we follow Jesus and we walk around the city, little gardens, little pot plants with legs, believing in Jesus, the outcome of our lives, that it would look like this, that it would grow amongst the cracks of the world where these big systems of, of destruction and chaos roam around us, that we would bring life 
like little gardens. And lastly, the central part of Colossians is about location. It's about location. Today I was locked out of Zoom and I tried to lead an early morning Zoom service. You know how frustrating it is. You have to verify your account and you have to go to an email that you can't find a part. It took about 10 minutes, completely locked out. In chapter, we don't have the verse for this, but in chapter 127, just a little bit further, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in chapter 3, your life is now hidden with Christ. The remarkable thing for us and what we'll celebrate in baptism is that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. Now, I was speaking to someone today who just moved to Bo from Nigeria and if for her, she was born in Nigeria and so she, she's come now to Bo and Nigeria is in her. By virtue of being born there. She didn't necessarily choose it, earn it, deserve it. It's just Nigeria is in her. And so she's travelling back at the end of the summer to Nigeria and she'll, she'll know now that Nigeria is in her, her culture, her, her identity. But when she travels back, she'll also know what it is to r- arrive home, that sense of the familiar. For all of us, we would have been born somewhere. We've, many of us travel, many of us have multiple identities. To be a Christian is to be in Christ and for Christ to be in us. So as we travel around, as we move around, we move with Jesus within us. This life, this growth, this garden and a city of, of war and destruction. And then we come back in prayer and devotion and it's like our heart finds home again. And baptism is kind of like a passport. It's a manifest identification with that reality. That as we baptise Paula and Mary now, that they're in Christ and Christ is, is in them. And as they, as they go about their life, they go identified and marked by the purposes of Jesus. To be a living God and a growth of the good news, the story that explains and transforms, to bring life, to bring kingdom of light, redemption, forgiveness, freedom, all the things we just talked about. And it's like walking around with a, as even baptised, like it happened, there was a moment, it's a stamp in the passport kind of thing, it's authority. And that's what we'll celebrate now for, for Mary and Paula as we move to baptism. But for all of us, as we close, I wonder what the pressures are for you. The things that, if you're following Jesus, that are that, that pulling you away, that distracting you. What part of the message that explains and transforms you need to cling on to in a fresh way? And what sort of growth, what sort of living manifestation of a kingdom of light does God want to bring into your life this week? Let's pray.